would open your Bibles to Judges chapter 12 is where we find ourselves. Judges chapter 12. As we finish up with one judge from last time, we'll look at a couple others very briefly, and then we'll get into probably the most famous judge, which is Samson. Let's go before the Lord. Father, again, as we now just uh, have your word opened on our lap, Lord, and just desiring to hear from you, uh, Lord, we know you're faithful to speak to us uh, through your word. Thank you that your spirit is moving and alive in our lives, Lord, and in this place where, Father, we desire to come and meet with you and Turn our hearts and attention now to your word. So we pray that you would do that great work that you're so faithful to do in our lives, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would just really bless this time by the moving of your spirit, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we left off last time with uh, uh, in Judges chapter 11 with uh, a judge named Jephthah, you might remember. Remember, he's the guy that kind of um, was kind of the, the outcast of the family. His wife, I'm sorry, his mom was a prostitute who uh, got pregnant by uh, Jephthah's dad, who had a lot of brothers, but his brothers kind of ran him out of town. You don't have really part of this family. He was the black sheep, maybe, or they just were embarrassed by him because his mom was a prostitute, and they didn't want a part of him, and they ran him out of town, and then eventually... Uh, you know, the Lord did great things through his life, and uh, he got, God gave him a great victory, if you remember last time. And uh, although before the victory, you know, he made that, or before the battle, I should say, or the war, he made that rash vow, like, hey, Lord, I'm going to offer up to you whatever comes out of my doorway when I first get home, if you give me the victory, which, you know, the Lord never intended, nor you know, uh, nor should he have done, but he did that. And you might remember the whole story that basically his uh, his vow was fulfilled um, through his daughter of not uh, ever getting married. She just remained dedicated to the Lord. And so kind of a sad ending to that uh, part of his victory there. Uh, again, we don't have to make let's make a deals with God and God, if you do this and I'll, I'll, I'll do that and all that kind of stuff is... Um, you know, is, is, is nothing the Lord wants or needs us to do. You know, he loves us and what he has best for us, or what he has for us, I should say, is always the best. And we can count on that. We don't have to bargain with him. If we have to bargain with him on something, then, man, that ought to be a red flag that maybe that's just what we don't need or shouldn't have or wouldn't can't be a part of because he doesn't withhold anything good from us. And And maybe it's a good thing, but maybe it's the wrong time. And we just have to be open to that and not make these rash commitments and vows. Um, so that we finished up that with it last week, and um, tonight we're going to finish the last part of his story, which really ends up, in a, sadly, in a civil war, we would say today. Uh, there's some people that are going to be mad about uh, what he did in his victory, and we can see kind of, again, it gives us a good uh, uh, background or a good feeling of really what was going on with these people. How far they're sinking, you know, it's all about me and about self and what we could have got out of this or what, you know, we could have been recognized for. And, and, and selfishness is such a killer. 
uh, that and greed really go hand in hand. You know, selfishness and greed are, are two, um, they're really, you know, killers in, in lives of people. And we can see that in a very real sense here in the first uh, few verses of chapter 12. And let's look at that in Judges chapter 12, verse 1. It says, then the men of Ephraim, now that was after the battle. We finished off last week in, in chapter 11. They gathered together and crossed over towards uh, Zo- uh, Zaphon. And said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Amnon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Now, these guys are flaming hot. And Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Amnon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Amnon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim, and the men of uh, Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, the Gileads are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassehites. So pretty much kind of the same thing. If you remember when we were studying through this with Gideon, remember Gideon, he went out with the 300 guys. Eventually the Lord paired him down to 300 guys. And then when the battle was over and they were chasing him, then these guys from Ephraim came out and said, hey, how come you didn't, you know, have us be part of it? And they said, well, you were part of it when you were chasing. You caught a couple of the princes and, uh, you know, you had a great victory. What are you complaining about? And it seemed like it ended kind of peacefully. But here with Jephthah, it's a little bit different. And as a matter of fact, Jephthah said, listen, I did call you guys out to help. We were in this huge battle with Amnon. And uh, I, you know, the Lord called me out to, to lead this battle. I called for all the people. You might remember last time he, he called for all the groups of people. Remember uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, Judah, Benjamin, Issachar, and those, those 12 sons of Joseph, remember there are 12 family groups, so everybody could trace their lineage back to one of those boys, and they became, you know, the different territories. He said, I called out all you guys. You guys didn't show up, but we still went out and fought the battle, because remember they were oppressing them for all those years, and you remember all the, the, the terrible things that they were under because of the, the Ammonites were really enslaving them. And he said, uh, so we just went with what we had, and the Lord gave us a great victory. And yet these guys are so much want the attention or the selfishness or they wanted some of the recognition for the victory. It doesn't really tell us what it was. But again, um, rather than be happy that they're not under oppression and slavery, they are just ready to fight. And sadly, you probably know people like that, right? They're always... You know, they're not going to be happy with the Lord has done and the glory that the Lord has done. They're always going to find something to complain about. Uh, somehow they're going to be mad. And they just didn't like what they did or wasn't done. And they just kind of complain about that. And it's kind of sad when you run into people like that, that, uh, you know, they're just not going to be happy until everything that they feel like should happen happens. And, of course, these guys took it to the ex- extreme These guys actually brought out their soldiers with them, and they're ready to fight. And so Jephthah doesn't really have a choice. He's now fighting 
you know, people of, his, uh, of Israel. They're fighting each other now. And as the battle goes, verse 5, and the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when the Ephraimites uh, who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would uh, say to him, well, they say uh, Shibboleth. And he would say Shibboleth. And if he could not pronounce it right, then they would take him and kill him in the fords of the Jordan. There fell at one time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel uh, six years. Then Jephthah the Gileite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. So we're really not told what happened with the battle and how it went, but obviously these Ephraimites left, and now they're starting to disperse, and Jephthah has his soldiers down by the, uh, you know, by the, the, the muddy riverbank, if you would, the fords, you know, where you, just before you cross into the river. And there was probably some certain crossing spots, so you had the guys there, and they'd say, hey, are you one of the soldiers? And of course, they're probably going to lie and say no. He said, well, there's one way to tell if you're an Ephraimite, because they obviously couldn't pronounce this word shibboleth right or they pronounced it a little bit different or they had a different accents or something like that where they could tell that hey they're from that part of of the nation from those group of people they pronounce it different and if they knew that that were one of them then that was it they they were a soldier and so they were put to death and so between that and the battle 42,000 people die why because they were selfish. They want they didn't like the way things went. They didn't like, you know, they didn't get the recognition of their prestige or some of the spoils of war or whatever it was, it doesn't tell us. And you know, they were so mad they were willing to fight about it. And many people died because of that. Again, selfishness and greed are such killers. It's it's pretty sad. Now, maybe it it, it does certainly happen in the world today, right? People um, and you, you read what's going on down in Venezuela. It's just crazy with the president and the supposed, uh, you know, uh, drone attacks are trying to kill him. And then the opposition is saying, ah, they just staged all that so that they could crack down even more. And man, what a place. I can imagine living in a, in a country where there's, what, 1,300% inflation and a for- shortage of food and medicine and you know, no, there's no jobs and you have the strong man that thinks he should be in power above everybody else. And I just, you know, we think of it back in these times, but, you know, or, you know, Syria, Assad, the president, you know, there's so many people want to get him out, but he had enough power in the army that he's going to kill all those who oppose him. And now what's been a civil war for seven years and the millions of people that died and displaced and had to leave the country Why? because some guy thinks he should be in power or he likes the power or the money that comes with it and all i mean it still goes on today sadly and um that was going on here and the result you know they're even fighting amongst themselves over that it's amazing what lengths people will go to to for their whatever they feel like should happen. And that's what happened here. Well, that's the end of, of Jephthah. And uh, he didn't reign very long. You know, he wasn't a judge for very long, six years, and he died. Maybe he was an older guy when he started. doesn't really tell us, but that's the end of his story. And now we'll have a couple more before we roll into 
one that we get a lot of attention with. So verse 8 says, and then uh, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel, and he had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage. And he brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons, and he judged Israel seven years, and Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. So again, we get just a little bit of a judge, kind of a placeholder, if you would. He doesn't tell us much that he was around for seven years. And obviously, he was pretty powerful and, you know, uh, you know, because we talked about, you know, having that many sons, 30 sons, and then having 30 daughters. You got to have a lot of wives and to support all that kind of people, you know, they had to be pretty well off. But we don't know much more than who he was and. Uh, his family. And then verse 11, after him was uh, Elon, um, the Teslite. Sorry, that's kind of a joke for Tesla. You guys get that? Sorry. All right, you guys are a little slow. I know, it's late. The Zebulonite, he judged Israel. He judged uh, Israel 10 years. And Elon was a Zebulonite, died and was buried in Ajalon in the country of Zebulon. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. And he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode 70 young donkeys. And he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Parathon in the land of Ephraim and in the mountains of the Amalekites. And so we get a couple other judges that come through here. And Abdon, the last one, uh, you know, he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. And remember, we talked about that last time. They all rode young donkeys. And uh, again, it was a sign not only of the number of people, but wealth. If you had a donkey and you didn't need it to work, uh, and to carry and haul a load. And if you just had it just for riding, it mean you were very wealthy because obviously most people, if they had a donkey, it was used for working and nobody would ever ride it because they were hauling a load or doing work with it. And so if you just had one to to ride, uh, it just, you know, they, they had some notoriety and wealth, obviously. And we just know that he ruled for eight or judged for eight years. Now, I just want you to keep in mind, because we're going to go through a couple more things, and then we kind of finish with the book of Judges. But when we turn the pages and head into Samuel, they're going to say something about what was going on in the nation at the time when we get into Samuel. And what we were told is the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. And that just gives us, you know, some uh, indication, again, of the hearts of the people. Of course, we know they go through this cycle of turning away from the Lord and then turning into other things and then they get enslaved by those things and those things enslave them and then it's miserable and they finally call out to the Lord and the Lord finally, they turn from their sin and he sends a deliverer or a hero or a judge and, 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 and then they, you know, they're doing good while long as that judge lives and then they kind of go back around in that circle again. But it's so bad and gets so awful really with the people's hearts that, that the word of the Lord by the time Samuel rolls around, it says it was scarce. And um, just kind of gives us the condition of the nation at that time. Well, chapter 13. And again, probably now we come to one of the best known judges or, or heroes or deliverers 
Samson. Now, just a couple things about Samson, because we'll probably spend this week and and, uh, next week uh, looking at him, because it's four chapters that we get to find out about Samson. But one thing is interesting about Samson, unlike these other judges that we've learned some information about, he never led an army, we're told. As a matter of fact, he'll fight against the Philistines every time we're told single-handedly. Also interestingly is Samson is one of those few judges that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. And we'll read it together real quick in verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And it says, and what, shall, what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk, uh, tell about Gideon, which we talked about, Barak, which we've talked about, Samson, which we'll get into, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the, uh, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and whose power, uh, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." And so interesting, I find this very interesting that Samson makes this list. When we read about Samson, uh, he is one of those guys that is very unique in Scripture. And boy, it seems like there is probably more bad said about him than good. And yet, uh, you know, when we roll around to the New Testament and talking about those who live their lives in faith and who accomplish great things in faith, Samson makes that list. and um, uh, But it, it's also a story of kind of very, it's very tragic because here's a guy that has so much potential, but, you know, it never seems to come into that full potential because, well, he allows his desires to lead him rather than the spirit of the Lord. And that gets him in a lot of trouble. And again, he's kind of set apart from most other judges, and he had a lot of advantages that, well, none of the other judges had, really. Um, we, we don't really see these guys having the advantage that, that Samson had. And um, just a good thing to remember that God won't take us one step further than we want to go. Even with the great advantages that we have, and we say, you know, how far do we want to go? How deep do we want to walk with him? How much do we want to, you know, grow close to him? He'll, he'll take us as far as we want to go, but he just won't take us one step further. He's not going to force us. And Samson's a good picture of that. Very interesting. It's almost like, you know, he has this great things he could accomplish, and it just always seems to... God uses him still despite a lot of those things, but just never accomplishes all that I think God wanted to do with him. And we'll see that as we go through this. Well, let's let's look about how he came to being and what all those advantages that he had that others didn't. Let's, let's look at that in chapter 13. Verse 1 says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Big surprise there, huh, guys? And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years now notice how much longer this cycle of being down and enslaved is compared to all the other ones we read 40 years some of it was three or four years and seven years and i think it was a little longer i think it was sorry i remember off the top of my head maybe 20 years i think it was the longest up to this point or somewhere close to that but now it's 40 years 
They're enslaved by the Philistines. Now, we haven't really heard much about the Philistines. Uh, and we'll start reading more and more about them. They'll become more and more the prominent enemy of, of Israel for a lot of uh, reading that we'll cover here uh, until really the time of David. But um, here's really where we first see them really being a, a threat to the nation and the people here. And uh, we'll be talking a lot about them. They, um, from what we could tell historically, they weren't people that were from that area, that they actually came from what would be like modern-day Greece and, and, and some other areas and ended up settling uh, on the coast down there. And, and some things in history I've read that, you know, they tried to, to take over some of Egypt, that that failed, and so they ended up just kind of settling there uh, in, in what's now um, like the Gaza Strip area. A little more area than that, but what we call the Gaza Strip to that little section there in, in Israel. And so, um, again, they're not um, from that area originally. But now they're ruling over them for 40 years. 40 years. Long, that's a whole generation of people that lived under nothing but slavery. Well, verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah in the, of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite from God, from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Now, one of the advantages that Samson had was he was born as a result of the promise of a promise. And again, there's not too many people in scripture that fall under this category. As a matter of fact, you count on one hand how many that are recorded in the scripture are born as the result of a promise. But he was. And, you know, he was going to be born into this family of this man, this woman who, who had no children. And again, you know, it's tough for people in, in, in these days not to have children. Um, and there's a little bit of a stigma, you know, in this, even in our culture, but certainly in that culture, you know, you were, um, you know, the people thought, man, you, you must have done something wrong or you're under some kind of curse from God because not having children was, a, well, it was very difficult as you got older and, and difficult just in life in general because children were very valuable and helping and working and, and doing all the things in that kind of society where agriculture was king. And, um, so he was born to a couple that couldn't have children and he was going to be born and he was going to be born as a promise from the Lord and notice that he was to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, don't confuse Nazareth with Nazarite. Remember Jesus from Nazareth? Nazareth was a place where Jesus grew up. Nazarite, if you have been with us on Wednesday night, Remember, way, way back, you know, there was a, a, a vow a person could take. A man or a woman, didn't matter who you were. If you wanted to dedicate 
your life to the Lord, and usually it was for a limited period of time. Uh, you know, it doesn't say, it said you could, you could do it. Um, from what I read of Jewish history, most people did it for maybe six months, maybe a year, but you could do it for a month or whatever you pick. God didn't, didn't tell you how long or how short it could be. But if you wanted to say, you know, uh, Lord, I want to dedicate this time in my life to you, whatever that was, um, you, would, you, you would separate yourself and, and you would take this vow of a Nazarite. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't certainly uh, equate, and it certainly, it, you know, the illustration breaks down, but maybe think of it in this way, if it helps you just get an idea. Um, you know, we have men's retreats or couples retreats or women's retreat, and we go away for a Friday, a Saturday, and Sunday, come back Sunday afternoon, usually Friday. And we, what we do is we go, you know, to the conference center or a campground or a Christian camp or something, and, and we just dedicate that weekend to hearing from the Lord and being around other people. And, and that, you know, so we dedicate that weekend, if you would, and sometimes it's just a one-day conference um, Saturday, when we go over to the men's breakfast for all the Calvary chapels in Capitola, you know, we're dedicating Saturday morning. Lord, we want to be around, uh, in our case, other men from the other churches and just spend a time in the word and fellowship together. We're dedicating ourselves, if you would, uh, for a couple hours on a Saturday morning. Um, and it was more complex and longer in theirs, but that gives you maybe some feel for what what they're doing here. They're, they're dedicating or separating themselves to that. There was, it was voluntary. You didn't have to do it. But if you did it, then the Lord said, listen, um, uh, you know, there's some things you need to do. One of them was you to, to, to stay away from basically from all forms of alcohol. And so they said specifically it says wine, uh, no strong drink, and even to stay away from vineyards and grapes. Just don't even go near that stuff. Uh, you're dedicated to me, uh, you just stay away from it. They were also uh, told not to cut their hair during that time. Um, and so, you know, if you got up and your hair was kind of getting long and it was getting all, you know, raggedy, I guess you're looking, okay, well, this is part of my dedication. It was, that was more of an outward sign uh, uh, of your dedication. And then uh, there were some other things they had to do, but the, the next thing was they weren't to come in contact with anything that had, had, had died whether it was an animal or a person or anything like that. You weren't just supposed to come in contact with that. And you can go back and listen to it when we talked about it in detail. But basically, that's you know some of the things that were practical and helped the people to focus on the Lord during their, their dedication as a Nazarite um, and, and things that they did that the Lord had them to do. Um, you know, some people think maybe John uh, the Baptist was. Uh, certainly, we know in Acts, Paul... Uh, took a Nazarite vow, so it, it wasn't. It's not just for the old, old. It was not just done in in the Old Testament time. You know, we have some cases. Certainly, Paul for sure took one. I think it's Acts chapter eighteen, I believe, is where um, you know he talks about taking that vow. So even people in the New Testament, uh, at least certainly Paul, you know, took that time and put that 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 dedication there. And so God says now, or this angel of the Lord, and. Let me just add to this real quick, because if you read this, um, and we've talked about this before, but I think it's good to remember. First of all, so this angel of the Lord appeared to this woman, and we'll see what she describes him as in a minute. But who's the angel of the Lord coming? Notice if you have the New King James, angel of the Lord is capitalized, speaking of 
uh, you know, uh, of a person, and we know that to be Jesus. Now, why can you say it's Jesus? Sometimes the angel of the Lord is not Jesus coming before uh, Bethlehem, the babe in Bethlehem. But there is times in the Old Testament where he shows up. How do I know that? Well, without going into a big, long study of it, remember we know the Bible clearly says nobody can see God and live. No one's ever seen the Father face to face. You just can't do that. And we know the Holy Spirit is spirit. But the angel of the Lord is just what we call a pre-incarnation or before he came as the babe of Bethlehem. He comes in at different times throughout the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Not every time the angel of the Lord is listed as a Jesus, but, you know, there is a good percentage of it. And there's usually some pretty good clues that tell us that it, it's not just a regular angel. And mostly it comes in the form of he accepts worship. If somebody tries to worship an angel, the first thing you say is, hey, 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 get up. Uh, don't worship me. Worship the, you know, they, they immediately deflect a person showing reverence or respect to them in some way, and they defer it back to the Lord. Uh, but in this case, we'll see, you know, we see the Lord, it's the Lord coming here. So just so we get an idea of that a little bit as we, as we go through this. So now, interestingly enough, the Nazarite vow, as I said, was a voluntary thing. But here, this angel of the Lord is telling Samson's mom that she is going to have to follow those until the baby's born. And then once Samson's born, then he is going to be a Nazarite from birth. So at first, he didn't take the vow voluntarily. It was decided uh, before his birth. And his service, again, wasn't temporary. It was lifelong. And sadly, we'll see that Samson and his life, recorded here in this story, will break all the Nazarite vows before he dies. He didn't really respect it, and we'll, we'll talk about that as they come along. But again, um, the, point, the thing I want to point out to you guys, too, is that mom was to set the example. She was going to live uh, that Nazarite vow before she gave birth. And again, I think it's just a great example that the family was rolling into Hey, this is what I'm doing through your family, and I'm going to start with you, Mom, and, you know, you're going to set this great example. And he was a, Manoah, her husband, was a great example, too, as we'll see here in a little bit. But, you know, like parents are supposed to, setting the example uh, for the children. And so, again, very unusual with Samson compared to all the other judges. So let's get back to our story, verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God, notice how she describes him, a man of God, not in any other way, came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him uh, where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the wound till the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Now, I just, I, I don't understand this, and I'm, 
it kind of cracks me up a little bit, but the angel of the Lord showed up to Mrs. Manoah. We don't even know her name, by the way. So Mrs. Manoah, and then Manoah prayed, Lord, okay, uh, uh, again, he doesn't make fun of her. He doesn't think she's crazy. He, he believes that the Lord spoke to her in some way. And he said, I also want to hear that same thing. I also want to hear from you as well. And I think that's great. You know, it just shows, I think, the faith of Manoah here. You know, the angel doesn't show up to him directly ever. Now, we just read that he'll, he shows up for the second time and answers his prayer, but he still doesn't show up to Manoah. He shows up to his wife again, which is kind of funny. It doesn't tell us why he doesn't directly show up. She'll come and get him and bring him over there. But I think it's kind of funny that it shows up, shows up to her twice. But the great thing about him is that he believes and trusts what his wife said and what the Lord spoke to his wife. And I think that's a great thing. But he says, Lord, I also want a confirmation. And I think that's a good thing. You know, we hear the word Lord from our spouse and, and we say, okay, and we receive it because we trust that they're, you know, seeking the Lord and the Lord's speaking to them. And then, Lord, but I, you know, I, I, I want you to speak to me and confirm all that as well. And I want to know it all that way. And I think what it goes to show us and I think it's important, and one of the points I'm making here is, you know, I believe that Samson had very godly parents. I, I really believe that, and I think we'll see that as we read, you know, uh, uh, several things about them. Um, good examples is that. So the angel listens to the prayer, shows up, but uh, the Lord shows up, but but not to him, but where she is. And then so, verse 10, the woman uh, ran in haste and told her husband and said, look, the man who came to me the other day has just appeared uh, to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife and he came to the man and he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Now, I think he's very excited, as she is, in one way. First of all, they're finally going to have a child. I mean, I think that's just kind of blowing their minds, right? Wow, we're finally going to have a child, and wow, Lord, you're going to do a great thing. And, and, and so he's, you know, uh, may, may, Lord, what you say, let it come to pass. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. But notice what the second thing he says is, what will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Maybe I could put it this way. How shall we raise this child? Lord, you're doing some great and unusual work here, and I'm on board with that, so lead on. What, what would you have him to do? How should we raise him? How, how's he going to work? What, what, what are you going to have him do? Or maybe I could rephrase it. How should we raise this child? Can, can I just say that's a great thing to ask the Lord? I think that's a very important thing. So one of the things we must teach and and lead our children and 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 one of the great things is they all have different personalities. They have God given talents and gifts, and the Lord has them, you know, in a special way. And 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 it's a great thing to ask the Lord, no matter what age they are. You know, Lord, teach me, show me how can I encourage this child, or or maybe you have influence on other members of family, or even people around you i can just tell you that there's a a good handful uh you know a, a, a bunch of kids back there 
that could use somebody like that in their life that are just in the other room over there, you know, um, that can encourage them in the things of the Lord. That would just be so wonderful for somebody to come alongside and encourage them. Lord, you know, you, you, what calling do you have on this person's life, this child's life? What can we encourage them? Uh, what's your will for them? How can I best raise them and bless them and encourage them in, in your ways? Show me. Teach me. There's so many people that, just in our community, guys, that need, you know, just a, that fellowship, that insight, that love of the Lord in their lives. And, uh, you know, they don't have to even be kids, but certainly them. I mean, if we can just impact you know, maybe it's a crazy number, but if we could impact like 20% of, of, of children, you know, the age that are back there, around that, a little older, a little younger, uh, in Watsonville, can you imagine what that generation would be like in this community? It would just change it all around. Uh, and who knows what one, one can do? I mean, you know, have you ever read the stories about Billy Graham and his coming to know the Lord and impact that certain, you know, what he called Sunday school teachers and other, you know, Christian as he was growing up had an impact. Who, who knows who's going to be the next Billy Graham or whatever, you know, great person, man or woman of God that's out there. And what impact, you know, somebody had, whether it's a parent or, or somebody else, grandparent, aunt, uncle, just friend that discipled some young one. And I liked Manoah's heart. What, Lord, what would you have? You're doing something great here. Show me and lead me and guide me. Well, the Lord always answers those prayers. Verse 13, so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine. She may not drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And so he pretty much repeats what it already, Miss Manoah already had been told. And so Manoah satisfied with that, verse 15, then Manoah said to the angel Lord, well, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. So in other words, you know, we want to bless you with this great meal. Can I maybe put it in those words? And the angel Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Well, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now, if you like to underline or highlight or circle in your bible i think that's a, a great verses to do that with you know it's just he's wonderful and don't we read in isaiah that his name shall be wonderful counselor mighty god prince of peace everlasting father and really that word wonderful we'll talk about it, it's just it's just too much to understand it's beyond your understanding really is what that means so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it up on the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar 
the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So, I don't know, this, you know, they're talking out there, he offers this. Now, now notice, um, and, and, I, and I point something out here in a little bit, um, you know, uh, verse 6 said, she described him first in verse 6 as a man of God came to me. His countenance was, was pretty awesome. In other words, there was something about, about his look that was just kind of awesome, um, but she couldn't verbalize it. And then in verse 10, um, she repeats that. She says, look, the man who came to me the other day has now just appeared to me. So she's still describing him as a man. And the funny thing of it is when I kind of just looked online and Googled, you know, some pictures uh, of the situation, there, there was a bunch of them that came up like this. And I always think it's kind of funny because here it is, white robe, you know, uh, big old giant wings on the back. Some of them have like halos above their head and all these kind of things. And that kind of always makes me crack up a little bit because, you know, really, she doesn't say, yeah, he had giant wings on the back and he was dressed in white and, you know, and, uh, you know, and the wings flapped as he went by, you know, all these pictures we have of angels are always kind of funny to me because you just don't ever get those descriptions of angels uh, in the Bible with having wings or they're not little fat babies floating around and all those crazy pictures. So, you know, again, I I put that up there just to make a point is that, you know, they they just look like a huge majority of the time, just like people. She knew there was something different about him because he had this kind of awesome kind of feel to him, I guess, if I could put it in those terms. Uh, but, you know, still look like a person. And, you know, sometimes these pictures just kind of give us ideas that aren't really biblical. So I just point that out. But notice in verse 18, remember I said, you know, he asked, well, what, what's your name? Now, why is he asking that? I don't know. My personal kind of gut feeling on this is, and it doesn't say it in Scripture anywhere, but I was, I kind of thought maybe he was thinking about maybe naming him after this angel. Like, hey, my name was, is Angel... Uh, you know, um, Aloysius or something, I don't know, whatever. Okay, you know, that's a great name to give our, our son or something like that. Maybe he asked because of that, I don't know, I just throw that out there. But the answer again was it was too wonderful to understand. What we see is, you know, truly the Lord is wonderful. That's a great reminder of it in verse 18, isn't it? Remember the situation and the circumstances that they're in. They've been in bondage for 40 years. Why 40 years? Because they turned their back on God. They, they just wanted nothing to do with them. They were pursuing their own passions and their own desires and their own thing. And they just took off on the Lord and could care less about anything he said or wanted to be done. They're heading in that direction. Then they get in bondage and in slavery to that. And, and then, you know, they're miserable for 40 years. And yet, you know, they turn their back on the Lord's. Many times, many generations we've been reading about here, and yet God shows up to deliver his people. I mean, if that's not the definition of wonderful, I don't know what the definition of wonderful is, isn't it? It's truly wonderful that after all they did, after all they've been through, after all that he's done for them, after all that he's given them as a people, that he shows up to, 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 to send the deliverer and it's just truly wonderful because, 
well, our God is truly wonderful. Our, our Savior is truly wonderful. I mean, if you then now you, you take the, the, the history and the name of Israel out of there and you put your own name in there. I mean, how many times have you done this and didn't do that and should have done this and, you know, supposed to do that and you didn't or you put it off or you just procrastinated or you just flat out wouldn't do it or whatever it is. And, and you know, you think that, he, you know, he still wants to call us his own. We would have given up on ourselves years ago. <laughs> you know, if we were God and we were looking at ourselves, we would have given up. I gave you so many chances over and over and over again. And I did everything over and over and over and over. You know how you get with your children, at least I get with mine. Man, I told you like 20 times. That's it. You know, I just can't get them to wash their hands when they come in from being somewhere. You know, simple hygiene Germs are coming up. Don't wash. I still got to tell them every time. Probably told them thousands of times, right? At some point, I just like, you get up to here and go, ah, I told you to do right? And then you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and go, man, how many times has the Lord done that? But I've done that in my life, but, you know, multiplied now 40 years or whatever, you know? Um, and yet, isn't he truly wonderful how much he loves us and turned their back and did everything, and yet he's showing up to deliver his people. Verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God! Exclamation point, right? But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. You got to like Miss Manoah? She's the calm one, right? Because he's like, we're going to die. <laughs> we, you know, to see him, you know, go up in the flames, you know, and disappear, it had to be an incredible thing. But he looked at it with great panic, and she looked at it with great comfort, it seems, right? That just goes to show that Everything he said is going to come to pass because look at he's in control of going up in a fire and disappearing and appearing and and all the other things that were pretty amazing, you know, just showing up all of a sudden. And, uh, you know, remember Gideon had that same kind of thing after the, you know, the angel of the Lord showed up to him. He's like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, I don't know. She's the calm one, certainly reminding him, hey, he didn't show us all this stuff to, to do that because sometimes we feel like that about the Lord, man. That said, he's going to squash me like a bug. Well, if he was going to squash you like a bug, you would have been flattened out years ago, okay? Let me just remind you of that. You know, he loves us and is always drawing us to him, despite of, you know, how we can be at times. And she brings him that great calm. And then verse 24, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him and uh, Mahanan, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. So they believe the Lord and the promises come to pass, and they certainly did. And just real quick, those are all where all the judges were from in the land, and Samson's, uh, he is down in this area here. You see where it says Dan? And this is the area where he uh, is from and where they're talking about and then this map just gives us a little bit of idea what we'll be talking about in the next weeks coming you know he was born in this area this is israel and here's gaza and eshkelon that's where all the philistines were all along here 
And of course, they have control over all this now at this point of Samson. But here's where he's from, and you'll see that he's going to make a number of trips back and forth through there, and it just gives us some idea of um, of what um, where he he lived. And before we close here, I just now well, you know maybe this is probably better for introduction for next week when we look at the next couple of chapters. But so he was born and he grew. It says in verse 24. And notice verse 25, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him in in those areas that we just showed in those cities. So in your own mind, just think, what is your picture of Samson? Now, if you've been around church for very long, we know some of the stories. We'll see next time he'll rip open a lion. He'll defeat uh, hundreds of guys with with a bone. Uh, you know, he'll do incredible feats of strength and carry huge city gates, uh, miles on his shoulders. I mean, what do you think Samson looks like? Kind of like this from that movie. Look at the bulging bicep and that square jaw and that two hands on that fist. Or, you know, maybe like that other one or that little cartoon back there, you know, just, I mean, he's doing incredible things, right? What did Samson look like? I mean, is that kind of the picture you get? Although this is not really true because we know he had, well, I guess at the end, right? You know, I mean, really, is that, you know, is that really, how, how do you really picture Samson? He's because he's going to do an amazing feat. Do you picture him like that or like this? <laughs> I personally think Samson was more like this than the other pictures um, because we, Read here, and we'll read, that we see at the beginning here in verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and began to move him. And we'll see the key to Samson's strength is not his vows, because that's going to go, not his hair, but the Spirit of the Lord. And we will see throughout these chapters, the the Philistines are going to scratch their head and they go, how in the world... We got to know the secret of his strength, right? When we get to Delilah, we all pretty much like, what is the secret of this guy's strength? Because, you know, if he looked like this or like this, they'd be like, man, that guy's just super strong. They wouldn't even ask the question. We just know he's just, he's just, you know, he's got this unusual strength. But they're asking the questions like, how in the world can this guy do this? Because I personally believe he looked more like the 98 pound weakling guy. And they looked at him and go, that's impossible. This guy, any one of us should be able to take this guy out by sneezing. And yet he is, you know, cleaning our clocks. And it just goes to show us that the Lord wants to make it very clear. It's not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? And that should give us great encouragement as well, because it's not how smart we are or how much money or resource or this or that or how we look or don't look or any of this. You know, the Lord will do great things in our lives because he's a great God. And all we got to do is be open to receive that and allow him to work through us. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we kind of scratched the surface and opened the door, so to speak, of, of Samson, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would just learn from all these things. Lord, that you have showed us here tonight. Lord, we pray that you would just continue as you even started out with the the selfishness and the the greed maybe of people and how much destruction it causes in lives, Lord. And and then, Lord, as we're reminded about 
the good start and really, I believe, the good foundation that Samson had. And Lord, may we also provide that in, in whatever area that, that you have us in, certainly as parents, certainly as grandparents, and, 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 and as maybe as an uncle or an aunt, uh, Tia, Tio, Lord, and in and, and all those areas. But Lord, there's so many other people, you may be at work, and, and others that you have us around that we could just be a great example to, to encourage their walk and their faith. And, and, and pray that, uh, Lord, what, what, how do you want to work in and through them, and how can I be an encouragement in that? Lord, may we have that same open heart, Lord. And Lord, let us always be reminded that it's not by our own abilities, but by your Spirit working in our lives that we can only accomplish anything. We know as, Lord, you taught us that without me you can't bear fruit, but in me you can bear much fruit. All the fruit that you can bear is, is born through me. And uh, help us to remind, remember that, Father, and to embrace that and desire that, Father. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.